Well, welcome once again to Torchlighters, lighting the way for a new generation of theologians. I am your co- uh, your uh, your host, <laughs> Justin Feeland, and I am your co-host, Josh Feeland, uh, fellow sinner, and uh, ready to talk about uh, some theology. How was your week, Justin? Oh man, uh, all I can say is that the Lord is is faithful, and that He never He never breaks a promise to us that's for sure um for those of you guys who don't know i i suffer with uh with some some illness issues and i won't get into those right now because that's not the focus of this this podcast but it's uh sometimes makes life a little difficult and um i'm just really thankful that i'm still here and that i'm able to talk about theology like this with josh and yeah i was thinking about how we could you know make this more than just like heady talking about theology but to make it fun as well and i think that uh um, a really great way to uh to do that would be to like just share a little bit about ourselves at the beginning of each podcast at the beginning of each episode um and so we'll do that but before we do that i just wanted to let you know that there's a couple of ways that if you wanted to you can get in contact with us snide remarks compliments flattery accusations of heresy <laughs> all of the above please <laughs> anything else that you'd like to say express on your mind you can send that to torchlighters podcast at gmail.com is that right josh correct all right it's torchlighters podcast all one word at gmail.com and if you have anything that you want us to talk about any questions that you want us to address on the air uh then please just shoot them off to that email address and then we'll we'll monitor it also, uh, if you are looking for a place where you can actually get this in your favorite app or your favorite place, there's a couple of places where you could get that. Josh, where can they get the podcast and uh, share it? Well, uh, we use anchor.fm for our podcast distribution, and it basically broadcasts to just about every conceivable podcast platform. So that's Spotify. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you find your podcasts, um, you can just type in Torchlighters in your search bar. And if it's by Justin and Josh Feeland, then that's us. It's a nice little red logo and stuff. I had I had fun designing it. Yeah. It was a good time. Yeah, it was kind of weird. I, I just I knew that that was the case. And so I looked on Apple uh, Podcasts app just to to see if it was there and it was and i was like whoa that's weird that's me <laughs> that's weird and um so yeah but uh yeah you can so you can find it there i found it in the the uh spotify app as well and a couple of other places too so please be sure to get that and then if you like what you hear just share it get the word out like we were talking about last episode um we just all we want to do is just get the word out. We want to preach the word of God and we want people to be encouraged and motivated to get into the word of God themselves for themselves. And so um, we just, uh, we just want to do that. So you can share on Facebook, Instagram, we're on Facebook and Instagram as well. Yeah. You can share the page, you can share episodes, uh, anything that you want. And you can just kind of get the word out that way. We don't have any, official advertising or anything like that but yeah maybe not yet but once we're <laughs> once we're millionaires we can we can discuss that <laughs> <laughs> well uh yeah so one interesting thing about me that happened this week um <laughs> i'm gonna go ahead and share this um i watched a really good movie this week probably one of the best movies i have watched wandavision are you aware of wandavision I am. I've heard about it. Oh my goodness. It is it is actually that good? So good. <laughs> so it's this it's on Disney Plus. So you need Disney Plus in order to actually get it. It's an original. It's a part of the Marvel Extended Universe. It has to do with Wanda and Vision. Uh the the lady who can make the force fields and things like that. And then Vision, the dude who has the infinity stone in his forehead. And yep. they basically it's a show that's modeled after like different sitcoms through the three ages and it's really funny because like the first episode is modeled after like the dick van dyke show and the dick van dyke show is actually really funny if, if you go and watch it it's one of my wife's favorite um tv shows but um it's modeled after that and but like halfway through the episode like 
changes style like almost like all of a sudden and certain like and then uh, a really creepy things start happening interesting and you're like what's going on and then slowly you start to kind of put together that it's more than just like a cute sitcom gotcha and and there's actually like a really really cool plot to it so if you have disney plus you should go watch wandavision if you don't have disney plus you should go get, get disney, disney plus, plus. <laughs> and watch it yeah i've been uh I've been watching the Mandalorian uh, lately. the uh, The second season, um, my girlfriend and I we had to we had to catch up um, with season one because she hadn't seen it yet. So, uh, but yeah, once we once we caught up with season one, we started season two, and uh, it was. Have you seen it, Justin? Oh, I love the Mandalorian. Yeah, so we started season two, and. Uh, it was it's so much more stressful than season one, <laughs> but in all like the best ways. So, yeah, that was uh, that was our our viewing experience for this uh, since our last episode, I guess. This is just a huge part of the feeling family, but we love movies. We, we love do. the cinema. We love the screen. And um, and so that'll probably make an appearance. Yeah. Our father has collected more dvds or at least we had a dvd collection that was about the size of like the average kitchen (laughs) uh as i remember it uh but after like digital streaming came along we kind of did away with most of that yeah yeah everything's online now it's weird i remember saying actually very clearly to a friend of mine a while ago that pretty soon like within five six years cds would be absolutely obsolete and uh he actually laughed at me <laughs> at the time. He's like, no, that'll never happen. I would yeah, like most, to say I was right. <laughs> I was right. <laughs> most kids don't even know what CDs are anymore. Oh, it's so true. Well, let's uh, jump into our topic for today. And it's kind of building off of the topic that we talked about last episode, which was like, why have a podcast, another podcast about theology uh, like this one? And if you uh, didn't listen to that, you can go listen to that on all of those apps that we mentioned before. I kind of want to like broaden out that discussion a little bit and talk about uh, a really important question, which would be foundational to this podcast, which would be, what is theology? You know, we talked a little bit about like why people don't do it and a little bit about how to do it from a practical side or what it is. But like we, we didn't actually really dive into like what is theology? Right. Um, so I think it would be really helpful for us to kind of step back and have a conversation around that question before we actually went in and had actual discussions about what theology actually is. For sure, yeah. Um, or about that actual theology. Um, and just as a way to kind of kick us off into that discussion, I want to read a, a text of scripture, which was actually the text of scripture that my theology professor, my systematic theology professor in seminary, kicked off his class, his theology one class with, and that's Psalm 145 verse three. And that is great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. Uh, ultimately, when it, what it comes down to is that theology is a study of God and the Lord is God, obviously, and that the Lord in this text is great and therefore greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. And the thought that I have written down kind of next to that verse in my Bible is unsearchable greatness calls for unending praise. Mm. Unsearchable greatness calls for unending praise. That's, That's the good. whole point of, of uh, the author of the Psalm saying that his greatness is unsearchable. If his greatness is unsearchable, and he is greatly to be praised because of his greatness, then he is to be praised forever because we can never come to the edge or the end of his ways. That's why like even in the, the passage where Moses sees God and at the end of um, the end of the book of Exodus, he puts him in the cleft of the rock and he puts his hand over him and God passes by and, and, and Moses, just as God is, is passing by, he lifts his hand and then he proclaims the name of the Lord and it just says these, these are the outskirts of his ways. These are just the, the tail parts, the back parts. The, it's like, you know, if a king were to walk by, the only thing that Moses saw was the train of his robe and just the end of the train of his robe. Mm. And that's all that we have even contained within the pages of scripture. So when we talk about 
what is theology? We really have to start there. It's it's this it's this nexus, this meeting point of of an understanding of who the Lord is, of His greatness, uh, and therefore what that does is that elicits a, a response of praise to the heart that has been sensitized to that greatness. It, it, it elicits a, a desire to vocalize and then to act on what we know to be true from what we have heard. And, and that whole thing, that is what I understand to be theology. Now, there's more narrow understandings of what theology is and is defined as, but this text is so helpful in just starting us off in the right direction of what is theology. It's the study of the Lord for the sake of the praise of the Lord. So, um, do you have any thoughts you want to share, Josh? I'm uh, I'm just I'm just thinking, and I'll let you know when when my thinking uh, manifests in worthwhile words. Okay, <laughs> okay sounds good. Keep going. Um, yeah. Uh, so so what is theology? So let's so let's pedal it back even more than that. Theology. Let uh, let's break down the word. Josh, break down the word for us. Uh, if y'all will recall last episode, theology, a Theo meaning God, logi, or ology meaning study, theology, the study of God. Yeah. Theology is the study of God. Theology is the study of who he is, what he is, and what he does, and who we are in relationship to him. That's what theology is. Uh, John Calvin, uh, very helpfully at the very beginning of his institutes, says that all knowledge consists in the knowledge of God and the consequent knowledge of ourselves. And that we cannot understand ourselves unless we first understand God. Hmm. So, I mean, you could branch off with that in a million different ways, but there, there's a sense where even you can't even understand who you are unless you first understand who God is. Because obviously, you know, Genesis 1, God is the creator of all things. He knitted us together in our mother's wombs. He's given us the specific genetic makeup that we have and the specific personality traits that we have. For the sake of demonstrating his glory, we need to understand what that leads to is that we need to understand who God is in order to understand ourselves. And that gets a little bit towards like the the purpose of theology, Um, but it's thinking rightly about God, thinking rightly about God. Now that word rightly is really important. What about leftly? (laughs) Yes. Thinking leftly about God. (laughs) No, thinking rightly about God. Um, and that's important because everybody, it's not just thinking about God. Okay. Because if we were to just think about God, the problem with that is that everybody thinks about God. They just have different opinions of him. (laughs) Exactly. Everybody thinks about God. Everyone has an idea about who God is. The question is not, do you have thoughts about God? The question is, what kind of thoughts do you have about God? Mm. Which thoughts do you have about God? And are the thoughts that you have about God correct? And that's where true theology really starts kicking into gear. And, and, and that's where we really need to begin. And, and, and this is really um, shared with us in uh, the book of Romans, chapter one, that everybody has a view of God in their hearts already. But uh, from the time that they're born, um, and uh, and so chapter one of Romans, uh, verse um, verse. Let's just start in verse eighteen. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and un- ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. So you have this reality that there's something that can be known about God to everyone. And that, that reality is central to the beginning of Paul's understanding of who humankind is. We all know who God is. That's because back going all the way back to Genesis, we have something called the image of God. We are made to be like God. We are made to reflect God. And, and there's a lot of discussion around what the image of God is but it basically comes down to we have a unique capacity to relate to God because we're like him. Hmm. The same way that like you have a unique capacity to relate to say your parents because you're like them. Uh, You relate to them in no other way 
than you do to other people. It's kind of similar to that. Um, but there's also a way in which like, you know, apes can't relate to God. They don't have a sense of existence. They don't have a sense of relationship to God as their creator. Right. Like one of the ways I've um, kind of conceived of the image of God, the Imago Dei, trying to explain that to to people is to put it in the sense like we we are like mirrors to God, right? We share in we share in attributes with God, right? Not, not in the sense that we are omniscient or all powerful, but we have the capacity to create, like we're creating this podcast right now. Mm -hmm. We have the capacity for relationship and emotion and thought processes, all of those things that God alone since eternity past has had the ability to do. He now imparts that, to us and then is like, I want to know you and I want to be in relationship with you. So yeah, that's kind of those, like the sharing of attributes is kind of the way that I've kind of conceived and explained the image of God. Yeah. Yeah. And that's definitely a huge part of it. You cannot commune with somebody who you're not like, you know, like we, we can have, we can have a relationship for instance, with our dogs, right? We cannot commune with our dogs because we don't, we're not like them. You know, we're of a completely different category. I'm a dog lover through and through. I've owned dogs my whole life. I've wanted to own a dog for a long time. We just haven't had a chance to do that, but I'm sorry. Like they're not a human being and we can't have that close communing relationship that we can with each other because we're like each other. We share attributes. And the same thing is true with God to the degree that we're like him. We can, we can commune with him. Yeah. And and that's kind of in the background here when Paul says what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Some people think that like the reason why everybody knows that God exists is because you can look at creation and then you, through a series of like deductive arguments, work backwards and arrive at the conclusion, oh, God exists, but but I don't want to believe in him. You know, some people think that that's like what this means. That's actually not quite what this means. This is, uh, this is what theologians call an intuitive knowledge of God. It's a default. It's, it's, a, it's an assumption in the, in the heart of man that God exists and that therefore the world can exist. And by our very conduct, we demonstrate that that's true through, for instance, speaking, through feeling, through having relationships through all of these these things that we do as human beings, all of those things assume God as the at, that He exists, that He created all things, and that we are created in His image. Um, and the very person who says, for instance, "Well, God doesn't exist. There is no God out there," he has to use his God-given faculties in order to in actually order reason to that. make that statement. Yeah. His own worldview cannot account for his own objection of the existence of God, which is why they resolve to evolution or some godless form of creation in reality. Yeah, that, that that does work its way back to there. When when Paul in Romans is talking about the existence of God being plain to them, he's not talking about looking up and exist and saying like, oh yeah, yeah, God exists. It's pretty obvious. I just I just don't I choose not to believe it. I choose to be, you know, <laughs> dumb. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I choose I choose to not uh to not think that. No, it's more along the lines of like, well, we know God exists because we assume God exists by the things that we do and the, and the things that we say. How do we know this? Because his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse. And the point here that I'm trying to make is, is not, not just to say like, you know, everybody's a sinner, though that is the point of this, you know, everybody's condemnable Indeed. because everybody knows there's no such thing as a, as a consistent atheist. There's no such thing as an atheist at all because everybody believes in God. Everyone, as R.C. Sproul said once, is a theologian. Everyone is a theologian. It's just what kind of theologian are you? You need to, you need to have proper theology. And the thing is that we start out in our, in our, when we're born, we start out not having correct thoughts about God by default. And this is part of what it means to, uh, to be fallen, to be, uh, to be depraved, to be a sinner. So the question then is, 
when we do theology, we need to make sure that we are thinking rightly about God. We are thinking rightly about God, having correct thoughts, not just having thoughts in general. Um, it's not just a symposium of, of thoughts about God. It's having some, a, a, the, a theology about God that's correct. Now, that, of course, raises another question, which is, where do we get those thoughts, right? Mm-hmm. So, in, in Romans 1, you have this category of theology called natural theology, which is basically like what we can know about God through the created world. It's a general revelation sometimes is, is, is a related idea. It's not quite the same exact thing, but it's a general revelation. You know, Psalm 19 talks about that, that the fact that the, the heavens pour forth uh, speech day by day and every single day just pours out this, this speech. God exists, God exists, God exists. It's every day is just a, a, another word concerning God's existence. Or like the heavens declare his handiwork. Exactly. That's, that's Psalm 19, yeah. the first verse right there. Um, there, there is a certain kind of knowledge that we can have about God from the world around us. The problem is that you could put it like this, like we don't have the right glasses on to be able to see and interpret that knowledge correctly. We, we twist it because our hearts are bent against God. And if God comes to us in creation, we're going to automatically go, no, or we're going to twist it to mean something else, or we're going to, it ultimately this, uh, ends up manifesting itself in idolatry. Uh, you're going to worship the creature rather than the creator. That's Romans one. Um, you're going to worship the things that God made rather than God himself. Um, and so, so you can't, and we need to be careful here because is it possible to get ideas about God from nature? Yeah, absolutely. The question is like, how reliable are those thoughts? (laughs) Yeah. Like, uh, our, our, uh, our sister is, she graduated from um, a college here in town in what was her what was her degree in health sciences I health think. sciences and she was constantly fascinated with the human body human processes and was talking with her classmates and arguing the existence of God mm-hmm. based on based on those those evident truths revealed through science and she was like. Holy, holy cow, God, God made this and there's no way that this could have just evolved out of nowhere, like some sort of goo that just popped out humanity after a couple million years, you know, but also like even music, Mm -hmm. you and I are both musicians. Um, I am pursuing music and music production, um, in college and the nature of music and creativity is such there, there isn't anything that's more like more personal, more um, emotive and expressive and intertwined with the spiritual than, than that, uh, than that creation. And that goes back to the image of God too, but. Exactly. I mean, this is, and, and this, there's so much that we can know about God from creation. The problem is that we interpret the information wrong. Um, and this is again, going back to Calvin you need to put on the spectacles of scripture in order to see correctly. Um, you have to have the interpretation of the Bible in order to interpret the world correctly. You need to look at the world through the, the grid of the scripture in order to understand it and the reason for what, for why it was made. Uh, and, and, and so like, you know, even in the example of, of our sister, she's a believer Uh, And she comes to the study of the sciences defaulting from the standpoint of, well, the scriptures are true. And then she studies the sciences through the lens of the scriptures with the assumptions that the scriptures give her rather than taking the assumptions that she learns from the, uh, from the Bible, from the, from the natural world, and then bring them over to her study of scripture. She, she already has that, framework. And because of that, she can arrive at those correct thoughts about God from creation. Yeah. That's where I I would say that that's where every, like every false teaching comes from is when you reverse the order of that. Yes. When you put the natural and impose it onto the supernatural, when you take the, the world and impose it onto, onto scripture. You have no idea how right you are, man, because like this, and this gets really to another area and this, we're kind of getting into apologetics now, but like 
this gets into the reality that what what that whole discussion is between uh, natural theology and what we could call like revealed theology or scriptural theology is is the issue of authority. Um, that's the core of the issue of sin, but that's also the core of the issue of apologetics. Um, do you believe that God has the final say? Or do you believe that you have the final say and that God has to revolve around your conclusions? If you believe that God has the final say, you have to start with what he said and, and what he said is contained in the scriptures. But if you don't believe that, you're going to start from outside of scripture and try to reason to it. But Justin, the Bible is not, it's not a theology textbook. Wait, no, it is. <laughs> but Justin, Justin, the Bible isn't a science textbook. It's not a history textbook. So like, how are we supposed to, you know, it's, how are we supposed to do that? Like if the Bible is the final authority, you know, that's, that's right. the question that people would ask. Right. Well, the Bible doesn't say everything about everything but the Bible does say something about everything. You got to make a distinction between like individual facts and presuppositions. And and yes, of course the Bible's not a, now we're getting into inspiration. Like you can't, (laughs) this is what happens when people ask me questions. I have all these thoughts that like run into each other and then they're all like, they have to pick themselves back up. And then, (laughs) um, so like you can't, use the Bible as a science textbook because it's not meant to be used as a science textbook. You're not supposed to be able to come to the Bible and walk away with a recipe like that Ezekiel 4-9 bread, you know, which is really disgusting. I tried it <laughs> once. It's really gross. Um, but is like, you can't treat the Bible like that. You can't treat the Bible and like, like a science textbook that is talking about geology because it's that's not the intention. The intention of the Bible is to tell you about God, what he does, about his world and about presuppositions and principles that lie behind those things. And this is, um, this is another thing I'm, I'm so glad that we got here. MacArthur said this in a sermon one time, a long time ago that I, I remember, it just really struck me, but he said, the meaning of the scriptures is the scriptures. The meaning of the scriptures is the scriptures. And what does that have to do with what we're talking about? It's because when you, when you look at the scriptures, when you come to the scriptures, what you should be walking away from is not just like, oh, cute story or, oh, nice thought or, you know, strings of pearls that you put on your necklace and hang around your, your neck in order to look cool. You know, like that's, that's the way, and that's the way we often treat the Bible. But what, when you read the Bible, you should be walking away with meaning. You should be walking away with this is the meaning of this text. This is the principle that this text teaches me and that I can, I can apply to my, my whole life. Um, so, and I'll give you an example. Did did you want to share a thought? Yeah, I was going to say, um, when you said, uh, scripture doesn't say everything about everything, but it says something about everything. If scripture said everything about everything, it would be a book that never ends. Yeah if God's complete and comprehensive knowledge was, was revealed in scripture, mm-hmm. then it would be impossible for us to read. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if it would be possible for God to communicate his, all of his vastness in human language. You know, we even, we have this book and it, it is inspired and it is sufficient, but mm-hmm. it's, it does not reveal the completeness of the glory and the majesty of God. Yeah. So imagine it's, you can't imagine having everything about everything revealed in something that's finite. That's yeah. just, it's just not possible. Not exhaustive, but sufficient. Right. Yeah. It, it doesn't have everything about everything, but it has something about everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like, I'll give you an example of how that works out. So let's go back to the very, the very starting point of theology. And that's usually the, the existence of God. Um, well, depends on the, the theology you're, you're reading, but the existence of God, if God exists, doesn't that have an implication for everything? Yes. Right? So like that one fact is a presupposition that colors your understanding of everything in your existence, mm. how you think, what you say about the squirrels that, you know, chase each other around outside. <laughs> it has everything to do with your car, about creation, about, everything, but it's just one statement. God exists and it changes everything. Yeah. Genesis one, one is 
theologically packed. <laughs> yeah, it's it is it is incredibly important to realize this when we're talking about uh, the scriptures and and how we actually can use theology in our day to day lives, um, because that that's the the point of the scriptures, and 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 that's why like when we come to natural theology and can we have true thoughts about God outside of scriptures? Yes, but you always need to be doing theology from inside the scriptures. And that leads to an even further clarification, which is that theology is thinking rightly about God from his revelation or from his, his revealed word. We could Mm. even say more specifically, it is a theology is an inherently scriptural endeavor, nothing else. It's not an exploration of reason. It's not an exploration of tradition. It's not an exploration of emotion. It's not an exploration of, of, the, uh, of the created order. It is an exploration of the thoughts of God contained within his word. That is what theology is. And that's what we mean when we talk about, when we use the word theology. Mm. And that's so important because you have to, again, start with the scriptures. Um, and if you don't start there, you're going to end up in the wrong place. Yeah. You, you're always going to end up in the wrong place. Happens every time. Every time. Every single cult that has ever existed in the history of Christianity has always started with that uh, with that wrong starting point of not the scriptures. Yeah. Um, even I'm thinking of uh, like Harvard, Yale, those uh, those Ivy League colleges mm-hmm. and universities that started out as Christian institutions. Yeah. And over the course of hundreds of years they have drifted farther than <laughs> is even conceivable. Yeah. And you kind of, I remember you coined the term a couple of years ago, institutional drift. Oh, I didn't coin that term, but you yeah. You did not? No, no. I've always thought you have, but I've, I always thought it was the, the, perfect, the perfect way to put that where everything, because you exchange the foundation in the word of God for literally anything else, it always drifts away from the truth. Yeah. So that's kind of like, what is theology? That's that's the kind of question of that. That's answering the question of what is theology. It's the it's the the thinking rightly about God from His Word. It's having right thoughts about God from His Word, and it's a, and it's something that's for everyone. And that kind of connects back to the last episode too. Like, if everybody is already a theologian, you already like it or not, have an obligation to God to become the best theologian that you can. Mm. Now, remember again, go back and listen to that. That doesn't mean you have to go by Turretin or, you know, John Owen's complete works and work through all of them in order to be a good theologian. They're in Latin. <laughs> They're not in Latin. But some of them are. Parts of them are. <laughs> uh, but like you, you, you just have to master your English Bible. And that's what it means to become a good theologian. And if you can, mm-hmm. if, if you can, and you want to read John Owen or you want to get Turretin or you want to buy Hodge or, or, uh, or Calvin or any of the other greats out there, like do it, you know, I'm not going to stop you, but you listening right now have a responsibility because you exist to be the best theologian in your power. Because you exist even. Yes. Because God made you. Mm. And that's that. And, and, and no even, options there. <laughs> no, you don't have an option. You exist. You're here. You don't have an option. God willed you to exist. Mm. He is your creator, like it or not. And because he is your creator, you have an obligation to study and know him and love him. That's part of the joy of being created. In fact, there are some, there are some uh, modes of, of talking about theology that talk about just the grace of existence. Like, mm. God didn't have to choose to make us, but he did. Right. And that's a grace. That's a gift that we even have in existence. The gift of existence. Sounds like a, sounds like a future book. <laughs> <laughs> that's so important. And, and, but with the gift of existence comes also the obligation of love. With great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Okay. So if that's what theology is, then what does it mean to like do that? And we talk about doing theology, right? Yeah. Um, and that's that's really important to talk about as well. What does it mean to do theology? Well, I think 
there's two senses that I think we can take that in and we need to take them in both senses at the same time. The first sense is study theology. That's what it means to do theology. And that's usually what we mean when we say to do theology. Right. Um, We do theology when we actually study theology, when we do the hard work of actually digging through the scriptures, writing up these things, um, meditating on the word of God, reading the, the, the books that, you know, we recommend, uh, reading the, the, the greats, the, the thoughts of, uh, the thoughts of men of old about God, etc. That's what we mean about studying theology to do theology. The, the other sense, the other sense that we mean do theology is that theology is something that is not only supposed to be done, but it's also supposed to be done. Like it's supposed to be performed. It's mm. not only supposed to be done in the sense of carried out or studied. It's supposed to be done in the sense that it's supposed to be performed in the actions. So we, the other sense where we mean to do theology is to obey theology. Mm. Um, and this is, uh, hopefully we'll have, I got a friend that I, we got to have on uh, where this is most of what we talk about is the relationship between application and theology and how they're really not two separate things. We tend to draw this really sharp contrast between the two of them. We're like, oh, okay. So we're going to talk over here about like the heady stuff. You know, we're going to get really deep, quote unquote deep. Right. And, and with that, like, we're going to, then we're going to talk about all these deep theological topics, but those don't really have anything to do with our lives. You know, they're just nice things that we need to believe. Um, and then we're going to like halfway through the sermon or in the next sermon or whatever, we're going to stop talking about that. And then we're going to start talking about all of the like real life issues, you know, the, the real life things about the world where these are like applicable stuff. And, and I look at that and I'm reading the scriptures and I'm trying to think through this biblically and I'm looking at myself and I'm saying like, there's no, you can't make that distinction because there is no, all theology is imminently practical. Even the doctrine of superlapsarianism versus infralapsarianism. Like that is a very applicable doctrine. I don't even know what that means for those keeping track at home. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like, you know, pick the finest point of theology and it has an application that's necessary for you to understand and for how do you, for how to live your life. Mm. Um, Not saying that every single point of theology is essential for your Christian life but every single fine point of theology has application built into it. It's not just for the heady people. Now everybody's probably wondering like, what is that? what are those things? And and how are they applicable? <laughs> we'll I should know them. It's like, well, <laughs> just be patient. You know, we'll, we'll get to that eventually. You can't draw that distinction between like talking about the deep things and then talking about like the practical things because the deep things are practical and the practical things are deep. So let's let's say like you're talking. Uh, let's give an example to kind of put some flesh on these bones. Um, anxiety, right? Really practical topic. Lots of people these days struggling. Mildly. Especially especially young people. Yeah, especially young people struggling with anxiety. Well, we would say like that's like a practical thing, right? And I need like practical advice in order to overcome that anxiety. And the first thing you know, I go to passages in Scripture like First uh, Peter chapter. Um, chapter five and in, and in first Peter chapter five, it talks, it's the famous, uh, uh, passage about, uh, theology or a famous passage about anxiety five, six, humble yourselves, therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So just those two verses there, we are, we all, we automatically start thinking like, Oh, practical. He's being practical. He's being practical. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, he is. But read it again. Okay, ready? Humble yourselves. Humility. Question, what does it mean to be humble? That's a theological question. Hmm. Um, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, which is referring to the sovereignty of God. Now you're opening up a can of worms. Oh, boy. <laughs> so you're, you're trying to address the issue of anxiety, and Peter's trying to address that same issue, and he turns immediately to the to the doctrine of, like, the sovereignty of God, like the most controversial doctrine that's ever been in the history of 
<laughs> of of the church, yeah. right? Like we've been fighting over this for two thousand years, yeah. if not longer. Um, and there's um, there's just it it goes to show that when you address practical issues, you can't not talk about the deep things. Mm. You have to talk about providence. You have to talk about God's will. You have to talk about God's decree if you're going to talk about overcoming anxiety, because the scripture joins them together. So the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties in because he cares for you. The love of God. I mean, believe it or not, like the the talking about the love of God is a doctrinal theological topic. So even right there, you can't separate doing theology from doing theology. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking of um Ephesians five mm-hmm. and uh like complementarianism, egalitarianism, which is a whole nother controversial topic speaking of controversial topics and uh i'm just thinking of that uh analogy that paul makes the comparison that he makes with uh christ in the church and christ being the head of the church and man being the head of the woman and that being a theological thing a heady quote-unquote heady thing Mm -hmm. to understand but paul applies it directly and that that has implications in our theology or take parenting for example you know where do we get our understanding of what it means to be a good parent from god as a father and how do we know that god's a father because god has a son we're talking about the trinity already you know so like talking about <laughs> talking about parenting you're talking about the trinity or at least you have to at least consider it um so drawing a, a distinction between the, the the theoretical and the practical is completely wrong. It's just not how the scriptures do it. And we need to be really careful in how we talk about these things, especially if you're like a Bible study leader or a Sunday school teacher, you need to be sure to not draw that, that, that really hard distinction between like the heady stuff and then like the hands, you know, like the, the head and the hands or the, 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 the practical and the theoretical or doing theology in the sense of studying theology and doing theology in the sense of performing theology. I mean, I don't have many hobby horses. This is one of them because it's so destructive to the mind of average Christians in the pew to do that because then they start walking around with this idea of like, oh, like I don't need just to, to, to understand those deep things in order to live my Christian life. Um, I, so I can just get the five things that I need to do this week and then I can be an adequate Christian. Well, how can you build a house without a foundation? You can't. Doing that is like trying to build a skyscraper without digging down first. Hmm. There's so many examples that I have a hard time uh, explaining them. Romans, okay, so you have Romans 8, you know, nobody can separate us from the love of God. Neither height, depth, angels, rulers, powers, principalities, anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, right? Next verse is Romans chapter 9. Why does he have to t- why does he feel like he has to insert this big complicated controversial um contentious discussion about election? The next verse after the most beloved verse in all of the scripture. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Like why does he feel like he has to do that? It's because the heights of our worship to God are founded upon the depths of our understanding of God's nature. Mm. And if we don't understand the connection between our understanding, our our functioning understanding of God and the way that we actually relate to that God, we can't live Christianity. We can't do theology. Yeah. If you, if you adopt that, um, the scrambling for application, um, at the, at the, at the sake of proper theology, then you end up with, a bunch of people in your congregation or people in the church who are scrambling through the first 10 chapters of Romans just to get to the good stuff. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, like what happens to the context, what happens to, you know, the whole Romans road thing, outlining the gospel, you miss the whole thing Mm -hmm. when you're just, when you're just doing this to get to, (laughs) to get to Rome, the, what like Romans, 12 is when it switches to like quote unquote application. Yeah. And it's like Romans 12, 13, 14, 15, 
becomes so much more sweet when you understand everything that came before. Um, I mean, a, a great way, and this is, I, I haven't actually listened through all of them, but I would highly recommend listening to John Piper's exposition of Romans 12 and following, because one of the things that he really does is he tries to draw out the logic of those passages and he shows you how they're actually expressions of the theology that came before it in chapters one through through 11. And that is so profound to, to see, uh, to see happen. Um, to mention kind of like as a side note would like talk head, heart, hands, right? You, yeah. you have the head, you have the heart, you have the hands, you have what you think, what you feel and what you do, what you think and what you love and what you do is probably a better way of putting it. We got to look at ourselves, not as like three different aspects, but as like one person that has three different functions mm. as a person. We think as a person, we love as a person we do. And what's transformed in Christianity, what's transformed in the process of doing theology is the person, not the actions, the person, not the feelings, the person, not the, the head. And as your person changes, the way you think changes, the way you feel changes, the way you do changes. And, and, and so like dividing between what you think and, and what you feel and what you do, it should never be the object of, of doing theology could you, here. Could you think of it as like a, a holistic understanding of theology instead yeah. of the, instead of the waffle segmented boxy sort of thing that us Western people like to do, or mm -hmm. we try to break it down mm -hmm. so that it's logical or we can, we can conceive of it in a, a systematic Mm -hmm. kind of way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? No, no, no. You're, you're, you're hitting on something really perfect. Like we always say, we go, we go to that, uh, that verse in Deuteronomy. They shall love the Lord with your God with all your what? Heart. And soul, so and mind, strength, strength, right? And we yeah. immediately go to, oh, heart, feelings, soul, which is like, I don't know, but it's part of you. And so you should love your God <laughs> with it. And then mind, okay, your brain and your strength, like what you do, what you do in life. Uh, okay, great. Like not Moses's point. Like, what he's, what he's talking about in that passage is like, you need to love your God with you in everything that you are. Mm, your whole person. Your whole person. Yeah. Your soul. Your, your nefesh. You know, you, your, you, your essence. You have to love your God with you. Yeah. That, the same thing is true of, uh, of that famous passage at the end of 1 Thessalonians where he talks about, may the Lord of God sanctify you completely, body, soul, spirit. And you have debates about trichotomy, dichotomy that come out of that. Right. Not Paul's point. He's like, <laughs> may he sanctify you, you, you know, your whole person. You need to serve God with all of who you are. If you're serving God, you're serving God with everything. Yeah. Do you think those, do you think those distinctions are helpful to understand? They you can, think they're, they're, they might be productive. They can be helpful in the sense of like, we do have different aspects of our person, but when it comes to like chopping us up, and, and, and separating us, that's where we get into a danger. And this is kind of like where everything from uh, theologians kind of like from like the three hundreds all the way up to like, I'd say about the Puritans or maybe the 1800s, even they kind of overemphasize the distinctions between the material and the immaterial side of people. They, they have the spiritual side and they have the physical side hmm. and the spiritual side is good. And this, and the physical side is not as good. They probably wouldn't say bad the danger is that, oh, you serve God with your spirit, right? Well, then you, you almost start turning into this like contemplative, like detached, internalized Christianity that is more so, so uh, what is it? So heavenly minded that they're no earthly good, right? Mm. <laughs> um, and, and then the other side is, is being so involved in, in the other side, this is kind of like the jo social justice side of things. Like they forget the spiritual and they turn oh it all into... <laughs> Speaking of controversial. <laughs> they turn it all into, like there are many things wrong with social justice. But we'll get there in another episode, don't worry. <laughs> this is just one of them. Like you, 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 they put such a strong emphasis on the physical side of the person that they forget the spiritual side of the person. That comes from that tendency that we have as human beings to categorize and chop up. So like, yes, make distinctions in who you are as a person in your different facets, but remember that you at the end of the day are one person. Could you say um, distinguish, but don't divide? Yes, that's a really good way of putting it. Just make distinctions, 
but don't divide. Um, the same way that, you know, you would with the Trinity. We make distinctions between the Father and the Son and the Spirit, but we don't divide the Godhead. And they're not that. three gods, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we're kind of coming towards the end of our time here. So just to close, I want to end with some, like, tips and tricks for, like, how do you actually do theology in the way that we've been talking right now in both senses? How do you do theology and how do you do theology? Um, and... Um, and that's, again, finding root in the fact that when we ask the question, what is theology is thinking rightly about God in his word, that's going to have implications for how we study the Bible, but that's also going to be have implications for how we bring what we study to our daily lives. Um, so I just want to share a couple of like little little tidbits that you can do like now. And I just, it's kind of ironic because I just spent some time to bashing the, the, the five things that you need to do this week, you know, but I, and, and this should be a proof. I'm not rejecting that. You just need to put it in its proper context. Right. Okay. So tips for doing theology for no, number one, first and foremost, what am I going to say, Josh? Read your Bible. Read your Bible. You have to read yep. your Bible. Trying to do theology without reading your Bible is like trying to build a brick house without bricks. <laughs> It's literally impossible because mm. you don't have the raw material. Right. You don't have the understanding necessary to put together thoughts. Like you, you we, we defined it, uh, theology last time as relating texts, yeah. right? How can you relate texts? If you don't know the if text. If you don't know the texts, <laughs> right? So this is like why people who do theology and yet never quote scripture doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, that, that always kind of rubs me wrong when I'm listening to like a sermon at a, a church that I'm visiting or something that I'm listening to online and they never quote any scripture. I'm like, wait, where are you, where are you getting this from? Exactly. Not only do you have an issue of authority there, but you also have the issue of like, how is that even profitable for the people? Mm. It's like just your thoughts. You, what, you're some kind of like life expert and I'm supposed to be exactly like you? <laughs> life coach. You figure things out. You're not a sinner anymore. Like, are you? Are you telling me those things, preacher? I I have a, a pretty strict expectation for for preachers that if you don't read the text within the first five minutes of the sermon, I ain't listening to the rest of it. <laughs> That's a little artificial, but like that gives you the point of like good rule. you yeah. need to read the text. And then not only do you need to read the text, you actually have to talk about it afterwards. <laughs> like there are also people who who read the text and then they they just like bungee jump off the side of it and they're just like <laughs> tethered to it maybe and it, they kind of mention it every now and again but they never actually really talk about it yeah and they can they can still say good things and they can still be right on task you know mm -hmm. but like is it really about the text like maybe you should have picked the text that you're actually talking about yeah you need to read your bible you need to read your bible so that's number one do that every morning every evening whatever works for you just do it every day and do it consistently yeah Secondly, be patient. Be patient. <laughs> um, you have to be patient when you do theology. And this is, this is one of the things that like so many people get so frustrated because they can't figure something out and they want to figure it out right now. And they throw up their hands and like, I don't get it. I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. Okay. You cannot figure out God First of all, ever. Second of all, in a short span of time. You know, you're you're mm. dealing with the grandest subject that was ever made. Or not made, that's heretical. The, the, you're dealing with the grandest subject in existence, which is God. And you're going to say that you're going to be frustrated after not being able to understand that subject after studying it for 20 minutes. And yet that's the amount of patience that a lot of people have in studying theology. It takes years of study to begin to understand the deep things of God's word. Hmm. And, and so a lot of times at the beginning of a Christian's walk, they're reading the Bible. They've never read it before, or they've never read it with the spirit before. And, and they're seeing all these amazing things. And it's like, Oh my goodness, all these really cool things left and right. And then about a couple years in, they, it starts getting like old hat. You know, they start getting familiar with the stories and it kind of goes a little bit dry for a while. And then they decide that they finally, okay, now I have to kind of really dig in. 
they kind of dig dug a little bit below the surface, but now they actually have to mine. And so they pick up some books and they read some books that are kind of like more popular level. And then the more things start coming out. But I've found that the longer you study the Bible, the fewer gems you, you really extract out of it, but the more precious those gems are. Mm. And, and, and I found like there are very few like brand new discoveries that I make in the scriptures anymore. But as what I've found is that the harder that I work now, I, I get fewer discoveries, but each discovery is like this massive yeah, it's diamond, like, it you pays know, off. like, wow, that's right. amazing. But it only pays off so often. Mm-hmm. So you have to be patient in your, in your delving into the scriptures because it takes time to familiarize yourself with the theme of each book, with the texts and with the different uh, ideas, with the principles, with all those things, and then to start relating them to each other and discussing them at length, et cetera. You have to be patient in doing those things. And for all my perfectionists out there, of which I am one, um, this is not an easy, not an easy tip. You know, there's kind of like I'm thinking of like two sides mm-hmm. where you can either get so um so disenfranchised with theology and studying theology because it's it is so much work and you don't have the patience for it mm-hmm. that you can just, you know, kind of brush it off. And then there's like the over-enthusiastic, over-energetic, and then you just keep bouncing from one thing to the next because, you know, mm-hmm. it's kind of those like two sides. And I've, uh, you know, I'm sure everybody's been on either one of those and kind of flipped between, right? Yeah. But yeah, just for my perfectionists out there, because I've been really kind of discovering that within myself and trying to, um, you know, surrender that to God and mm-hmm. being like, Lord, just, just humble me, just take away my pride, just peel mm-hmm. me back and let me, let me discover, you know, discover the good and true and the beautiful that lies within your word, Yeah, you know, and that's, that's not something that's going to come quickly. Yeah, absolutely. Thirdly, write your thoughts out, write down your thoughts. Um, this is so important. You think more clearly when you write, it is a fact for everybody. I am convinced. I didn't used to believe this. And then I finally broke down and I bought a journal. Black moleskins. That's the only thing I buy. <laughs> um, because that's just my personality. But write your thoughts out. When you come across a verse, like we started out with Psalm 145, verse 3. Great is the Lord, greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. Write it out. Great is the Lord. What does that mean? He's great. What does it mean that he's great? And then start writing down all the things just in like conversation form, just write down your thoughts and you'll find that as you write things down, things will occur to you that you never had, the, would have thought before. Um, so write down your thoughts. And I now have like what, five, six journals full of just like prayers and thoughts that just came from whatever I read that morning. Mm. And I, I can, now I have a whole archive of things that I go back to and I can read and say, wow, I was really discouraged, but like this verse really helped me on that day. And I'll go back and I'll read it and I'll be thankful for what God did for me. Or, um, or I'll have a thought that I'm like, man, I expressed that really well in my journal entry. Now I have a record of it and I can go back and I can read that mm. and I can re-express Good it. for sermons. <laughs> it, it is really helpful if you're or a Bible podcasts. study leader or podcast or anything. It helps you remember things too. Fourthly, pray. Pray, 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 pray. I probably should have said this first, but like theology, and this is something we didn't get to talk about. Like, how do we actually do theology? Another aspect of doing theology is recognizing that it is a spiritual before it is an intellectual pursuit. Mm. It is a spiritual pursuit because it is a pursuit of the knowledge of God, not a pursuit of the knowledge of stuff. You're not just understanding God intellectually, though you are understanding God intellectually. I don't want you to mishear me on that, but it's not firstly, and it's not primarily an intellectual pursuit. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you can find life. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. How do you, how do you search the scriptures in a spiritual way? You search them by praying, by actually coming to the Lord before you read your Bible and say, Lord, I can't understand this without your help. Please give me your spirit once more and, or let your spirit empower me to understand what I read. Give me insight, give me power, help me to obey what I say, convict me of my sin. All of these prayers you must have, and you must have that disposition of prayer as you study theology. Um, 
rather than just, again, thinking of it as this like segmented thing. B.B. Warfield said something really helpful. It's, uh, and I, I'm not going to quote it exactly because I can't remember the exact quote, but the paraphrase is something like, we often force ourselves to choose between, do I pray for an hour or do I study for an hour? And he says, why not study for an hour on your knees? And why not spend an hour studying while in prayer? You know, why not spend an hour in prayerful study or studious prayer? And how do you do that exactly? I mean, I would refer to you to those guys to give you a better idea of what that is like, but pray. You have to pray. You have to pray to do theology correctly. Fifthly, read the best theology out there. Read the best theology out there. Um, so this is where you start, like you start, just start with the scriptures, run into questions that you have. And then when you have those questions, go find books that answers those, answer those questions before. Because all, guess what books are? They're just people thinking about God in their own terms. And you're just learning from other people. It's like doing this, except with a book instead of a person. So go and read the best theology. And, and, and listen, like there's so many books out there. So many people are like, there's so many resources. Like, where do I begin? Great rule of thumb. If it's old, it's better. <laughs> I am not committing C.S. Lewis's sin of that he identified as chronological snobbery. Okay. <laughs> but what I'm saying is that like, there are so many books out there that are just not worth reading. They're true. They're accurate. They're written by godly men. They are not worth your time. The, the true books, the ones that you want to spend your time in are the ones that have stood the test of time and are still around after the scrutiny of hundreds of years. Mm. So spend time reading, um, reading the, the people who basically were alive 1800 and before. We should start a, like a book list, like a Justin's <laughs> reading list or something. We, we could definitely do that. That'd Some be great. Weird books on there, but, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so go and read the best theology out there. And this is super important too, because not a lot of people have a ton of time on their hands. Not, not everybody's a pastor. Not everybody is paid to study the scripture. Um, not everybody's a professor at a, at a seminary or a professor at a college in, in the Bible department. So that means that you have to be judicious in what you actually choose to read. Um, so it's even, even more important then that you choose the right books to read about the right topics and that you get a well-rounded understanding of, of, of Christianity and, and systematic theology. Yeah. Should you read, uh, read things that you disagree with? You can, if you want, I probably wouldn't start there. I'm the Lord has a different path for everybody. So I'm not going to tell you what you can and cannot read. Um, if you want to read it, read it, but just read everything with discernment. I find that it's better to understand the arguments from a particular side before you actually engage with the other side. But I don't start out jumping into, you know, I didn't, I, you don't address liberal theology by just jumping into liberal theology. It's really helpful to read a book about liberal theology from a conservative perspective that's fair to liberal theology. And, and then with that kind of, with that uh, arming to then jump into a book uh, that's more liberal in its perspective so you can know like you can know what to how to think about that correctly from a point of view with which you know is biblically faithful. Yeah. Is that how you, you might put it? Exactly. Like they're going to use words in ways that are they're words that are familiar to you in ways that are not. There you have you share the same lexicon with different dictionaries, you know, like mm, or yeah. like you have you have the same vocabulary with different lexicons. That's yeah, what I've, it is. I found that with uh like some light social justice reading that I've done. Yeah. Um for like a paper that I wrote last uh last semester and that was literally it. They would use they would use specific terms and mean completely different things mm -hmm. by what they say. Yeah. So, and that's it's really helpful to know those know those definitions before you actually enter into the the, uh, the tumult, yeah, if you will. Exactly. Um, another thing, six, number six here is sing theology, sing theology. And largely this means sing hymns. I, I am a, a wholehearted advocate of hymn singing. I do not advocate hymn singing in opposition to chorus singing. I like both at the same time, uh, in the same services, but hymns are particularly conducive to communicating truth 
whereas choruses are not. Um, and that's that's nothing against choruses, just the way it is. It's just the facts, you know, just like rap is actually a really good medium of communicating theology because <laughs> it's memorable and it's you actually it. like words. <laughs> Our know? mother is, uh, is not fond of the medium. <laughs> <laughs> well, whatever you think, like the only point I'm making but there is right, that yeah. it's, it's useful. Um, Get a lot of words out really quickly. And some people have capitalized on that, I think to at least some good. Yeah. And, um, but like singing theology, singing hymns, memorize hymns, memorize the, the, the songs that are a great songs of the faith. And can it be, um, what wondrous love is this, but like go memorize those hymns and sing them to yourself as you go along. Cause those contain great theology. Uh, number seven, listen to good preaching, mm. listen to good preaching. Yeah. This is where resources like this are helpful to you. Uh, resources like other podcasts, the preaching ministries of great men, such as grace to you, um, with John MacArthur, truth for life with Alistair Begg, the preaching ministry of any, any person who's within, um, that those kinds of circles, um, and of course, never neglecting your local pastor and making sure that you are faithful to attend every Sunday and yeah. listen wholeheartedly and eagerly to your pastor's preaching. Um, and as you do that, you'll find that he makes connections for you uh, in, your, in conjunction with your own Bible study. And you'll find that they actually sync up more often than not. Mm. And then lastly, uh, talk about it, teach it, or tell someone else. Uh, the best way, and this is just Deuteronomy 6 all over again, best way to grow in your understanding of theology is to teach it to somebody else. Yeah. Cause you need to know it in order to communicate it. Here we are. <laughs> yeah. So take what you learned today and, uh, and go talk about it. Say, Hey, they were talking about this, you know, and it, I thought it was really interesting. What do you think about that? And just start a conversation. And even if that conversation only lasts for five minutes, it's worth it. Yeah. And now it's solidified in your brain. Cause you had to be brave enough to bring it up. Yeah. And you're going to remember it. Like uh, professors and, and teachers, you know, in order to know, in order to be able to teach a subject, they have to know it really well. Would you rather learn from a, uh, a quote unquote music professor who has, is just taking guitar lessons for the first time? Or would you rather take guitar lessons from Jimi Hendrix? <laughs> you right. know, if you do all those before, then you have a all those previous tips, then you will have a uh, a better foundation upon which to upon which to teach and upon which to glorify God. Amen. Well, that's our episode for today. What is theology? Uh, we hope that you found it encouraging, edifying, maybe a little bit convicting, and we pray that the Lord uses it in your life. This is Torch Lighters. We'll see you next time. Adios. Adios.